Good morning. How's everybody doing? Tired, great. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Hey, my name is Ty. I'm one of the pastors. It's a joy to be with you. Uh, let's, let's get this out of the way. Uh, happy football day. Yeah. All right, just by, uh, by either a shout or a hand up, I don't care. Uh, who's, who's wants, who wants the, the Chiefs to win? Is that who, who, Chiefs? Okay, who wants the Eagles to win? And who just wants to watch commercials? Cool. Awesome. Well, there, there's that. Uh, hey, I got a couple announcements before we get started. Uh, the first one is this. We'll, our, our GPS, our Grace Point students will be hosting a pancake breakfast on the 25th. Uh, I believe it's from about 8 o'clock to 11 o'clock, and so this is a great way for us as a church to partner with them and help them. All the proceeds will go to student camp. Student camp is a very part, uh, important part of their lives, uh, and so let's make sure that we sponsor them and help them for that. Uh, I think they're asking for a suggestion of about $20 per adult donation and $10 per kid, uh, but it's one of those things like just give what you can uh, would be great uh, for them uh, to help pay for them to go to camp. And, and just so you know, it's all you can eat pancakes, and bacon. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So don't miss that. Uh, second thing is that there will be no 6 p.m. gathering tonight, but you guys are here and you don't care about that. And then lastly, uh, we're getting ready to kick off the season of Lent. We kick that off by our Ash Wednesday gathering, which will be on the 22nd of this month at 6.30 p.m. So make sure you mark that on your calendar. If you're like, I don't know what Lent is. I don't know what Ash Wednesday is. Well, that's just uh, even more reason for you to show up on Ash Wednesday on the 22nd. For the rest of us, just be there. It's a great time to gather to start the season of Lent. Let's get started. Uh, I want to start by asking a question. And as I ask this question, I want us to kind of keep that in the forefront of our minds as we walk through uh, our message today. But the question is this, what does love require of me? Ask that for yourself, not of me personally, but I will ask it for myself. But what does love require of you? What does love require of me? We're, we're continuing our series, our teaching series, we're called Everyday Missionaries, and we've been looking at uh, various texts throughout the Bible of what it means to be an everyday missionary. We believe that all Christians are called to be missionaries, and I think the question we need to ask today is, what does love require of me? And I'm just going to simply answer it. It requires, it requires action. I mean, love is to, to require an act or actions from us. Uh, love means to have a posture in our lives where we want to bless other people and help other people and love other people well. Imagine if love were a, a playbook. It doesn't matter what play we run, if you sports term, if whatever play we run, it's always going to be loving and guiding and helping and good for those around us. Love does not sit back and wait whether it, they deserve to be loved or deserve to be cared for. No, love just acts. Love leans forward. Love assumes the best of other people as well. Love requires action from us. Sometimes we think or we act or we say things that uh, seem to, to lead us to believe that love is passive. You ever been around someone who is newly in love? And they said, yeah, I just fell in love with them. And we use the term fell in love with someone like love is a pit that we were just walking along one day and <laughs> fell into it. So sometimes we think love, we have, to, we have to feel it, and love does have feelings that go along with it, uh, and if, if, that, if that is true, then sometimes we believe if I don't feel in love, just to act in love would not be real. But no, love requires at times feelings, but also action as well. 
And, and the story we're going to look at today in the Bible, I really think Jesus is showing that picture or showing us uh, kind of defining that love does require action from us. And so no matter if you're not a church person or you're not familiar with the Bible, you have probably heard of the story today, or at least the title of the story today of the Good Samaritan. So if you got a Bible, we're going to walk through that today. We'll be in Luke chapter 10. So turn your Bibles there now. If you don't have a Bible, um, here at Grace Point Church, well, we say you're going to need a Bible. We lead, teach, and preach from the Bible. We have them in English and Spanish at these tables up here and in the back and out at center point as well. And I'm sure you have a smartphone on you. Uh, you can download version and uh, uh, click the events and Grace Point Church will pop up. But just a little bit, if you've been with us for a, a, a season, we've been kind of in and out of Luke through spurts. Uh, we know that the book of Luke was written by a guy by the name of, look at you go. Uh, Luke was a doctor. Uh, he was hired basically to, to, to investigate the claims of Jesus. And so uh, as we kind of lead up to the Good Samaritan in, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus has started his earthly ministry. He's been teaching. He's been healing. And there's this one scene that happens right before the Good Samaritan where he's basically praying and thanking the Father, thanking Father, um, the Father that he has hidden through these parables, hidden some of the truths uh, from, from people, which is an odd statement. Uh, and, and basically, Jesus is saying that it takes a childlike faith to, to believe and to trust. And he said, that it's kind of like when he says it's been hidden from some people, it almost feels like he's saying that some people are too religious to hear this good news of Jesus. And so we have this encounter that Jesus is encountering this lawyer, and then uh, and, and that's where we're going to jump in today. And as we walk through this, I, I want you to see for yourself what love may require of you. Sound good? We'll get in, we'll get out, you get to your football game. Sound all right? Which it starts at 3.30, so we got some time. Let's do it. <laughs> I kid, I kid, I kid. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, are you there? Okay. And behold, a lawyer stood up uh, to put him, to him, and this is Jesus, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Like he's going he's gonna to test Jesus, which is just kind of dumb. But anyway, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What is he asking? Well, he's basically asking Jesus, what do I need to do to get saved? Now, there is a bit of a contradiction in his question. Do you see it there? What do I do to inherit? Now, you, you're, you're smart. You know how an inheritance works, right? What must take place for an inheritance to be given to someone? Right. And so uh, the person receiving the inheritance, what must they do to receive it? Well, probably be in good standing with the, with the person uh, leaving, but no, no. But it, like nothing, it is, it, is, it is passive. And so what Jesus, is, you know, what this question is saying right here, it's kind of a contradiction. You don't do anything to receive an inheritance. Someone must die, and then you, you passively receive it. And I think we can tie that into salvation as well, is that uh, you don't do anything to save yourself. Jesus is the one who did all the work for you, and so you receive it. We would agree with that as well. So, but anyway, Jesus... He, uh, he answers the question with a question. You ever read the Gospels? And people ask Jesus a question, and then he like, turns it on like Mr. Miyagi style, like, bam, I ask you another question. That's what he's going to do right here. Verse 26. Uh, Jesus said to the lawyer, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? I love how he says this. What's in the law? That would be the first five books of the Bible, the Torah is what he would understand that as. And, and how do you read it? So what you need to know is this person that Jesus is having an interaction with is called a what? A what? A lawyer. He's a lawyer or lawyer. How do you say it? Lawyer, lawyer. Either way, he's a lawyer. But uh, when you think of lawyer, don't think of courtroom. Don't think of like Judge Judy or like if you're old like me. You remember Judge Wapner from the People's Court? 
It's not that kind of lawyer. He is, he is an expert of the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. Uh, basically, he's a theologian. He's a spiritual leader. He's a leader and expert of the law of God. So don't think like he's a judge in a court. No, he's a, he is basically a theologian. And so Jesus is going to start putting him to the text. He's like, what's written in the law and how do you read it? So this is the lawyer's answer, verse 27. He, he answered, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And so this religious guy, this lawyer, he, he nailed it. He, he knew the book of Deuteronomy, the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, hear, the Lord is one. You shall love your Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Remember that? Deuteronomy. So he knows the law. He knows Deuteronomy. And then he also knows the book of Leviticus. That's in the first five books as well. He knows that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. The Old Testament says that. Later on, you see that Jesus gives the greatest commandment. Someone tries to put him to the test, like, what's the greatest commandment? There's like 613 of them in the Old Testament. Jesus summarizes it, says, love God with everything, love your neighbor as yourself. You, you up to speed on that? And so he, he answers it this way, which is great. Watch what Jesus does, verse 28. I love this. He said to him, you, Jesus says to this Lord, you have answered correctly. Do this. Do this. And you will live. He's saying... If you do that, as the law has prescribed, you will live. And the live, I believe he's saying, connecting to the original question, eternal life. If you do the law, you will inherit eternal life. So Jesus is like, so, 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 so go do that. Now, here's the thing about the law. Can you keep the law just 90%? Is that, is that enough? I mean... It's not? I mean, like, that's an A? That's really good. Let's, let's play a scenario. Imagine you have 10 friends. You have 10 friends, and you know the Bible says, thou shalt not murder, and you only murder one of your 10 friends. <laughs> You're, like, 9 out of 10 is great. That's a, those are great odds, aren't they? Those are, I mean, that's 90%, right? No, here's the thing about the law. The law is to be kept 100%. The law is to be kept perfectly. Who in the world could obey God's law 100%. Does anyone know anybody that can obey God's law 100%? Anybody? Who? So the lawyer just came, uh, came in contact with the law, and the law of God is to act like a wall in our life. And every time we think we're good at it, and every time we think we can fulfill it perfectly, we hit that wall of the law, and we come crashing down, and we're reminded that only one person fulfilled God's law perfectly, and that is Jesus. So at this point, the lawyer should have fell to his knees and said, oh, Jesus, you are the one who saved me, right? That's what should have happened. It doesn't happen. And you may be saying, well, Ty, maybe there's a problem with God's law. Why, why is God's law like that? Well, listen, God's law is perfect. There's nothing wrong with God's law. The wrong is with who? There you go. Now you're, you're getting it. But anyway, the lawyer, he's in, he's in this uh, verbal situation with Jesus. And instead of uh, like falling to his knees and submitting to Jesus right there, he's like, you know what? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wiggle my way out of this thing, like we do as well. Verse 29. But he, the lawyer, design, desiring to justify himself, to make himself right, maybe right in the argument, maybe even right before God, to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The, the, the lawyer's like, ha found a loophole. Who's my neighbor? Why? Because most people, most of the Jewish people at the time, they would interpret the Old Testament of loving your neighbor means your fellow Jewish people, like your, your brother or sister who is already Jewish, not, not thinking about outside people or anything like that. The idea that you would only love Jewish people, you would not love any other ethnicities, any other nations, any other people groups or anything like that. Uh, no, one from, no one from another nation, nothing, just the Jewish people. 
And we hear that, and we're like, that doesn't sound right, right? But before we get all like, uh, all, all, all like, you know, kind of self-righteous of ourselves, looking down upon this lawyer of like, why do they only love certain people? We do the same thing, don't we? We do. We love certain types of people, or we're okay with certain types of people, and sometimes we're not okay with other people. Like, we would probably all agree, like, I love the poor, but then, like, you start to think about who is the poor. You're like, well, I love the poor, but not, you know, not, th- not those type of poor people, you know what I'm saying? Like, not the ones with the, that smell or that, you know, they're out there running their, their lines, you know, like they're going to be in a play or something by themselves. Like, not, not those people. Or you would say, I, I, I love all ethnicities, I, you know, all ethnicities, I, I love all race except, you know, except, except those, you know, those people, because, you know. Well, I, you know, I, I, love, I love all Democrats, but, I, you know, Republicans. <laughs> I'll say it the other way, too, so you're okay. I love Republicans. There's not somebody like, oh, goodness gracious. Some of us, it even comes out geographically of who we love and who we don't love. I love everyone in Aliante. But, 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 you know, but, 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 you know, if you go south of Ann, ooh. Or your line, you know, oh, I'm okay with that, but Craig, I don't know. Or Cheyenne, like, do you, but you see what I'm saying? Like, we, we kind of have people uh, that we want to define, like, this is really my neighbor, this is the people I'll love and serve and care for and I'll associate with and all that, but other people, I will not. We are doing the same thing they are doing. And so Jesus is getting ready to, to really turn this on its head. And the question we need to ask is not who is my neighbor, but whose neighbor am I? Because he, he really puts the onus on the lawyer. And when we read this story, we need to put ourselves in the lawyer's shoes. We are the lawyer in this situation. We're trying to wiggle out of what Jesus says. And so we need to ask the question, whose neighbor am I? I think that's the better question. It's getting ready to show us what love is going to require of us. Look at verse 30. Jesus replied, he's getting ready to tell a story. A fictitious story, but a story nonetheless. This is a parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And so uh, there was a road between Jerusalem and Jericho. It was about 20 miles long. It was very windy, uh, not a very safe road. They would call it uh, the bloody way that uh, it was commonly known as people are going to hijack you or beat you or rob you or something like that going, uh, you know, if you go down that way. And so uh, there was a man who, who, got, who got beat, who got robbed, and he's laying there uh, bloody, naked, and, and dying. Um, why does Jesus set that up that way? Maybe. This is speculation. Sometimes we call this story the Good Samaritan, but it may be about the person who got beat. It may be about the person lying there naked, bloody, and half dead. And Jesus may be using that to point to himself. But I don't know. That's speculation. Nonetheless, he continues in verse 31. He says, now by chance, a priest, who is it? A priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. The priest just walked right around him. So likewise, a, a Levite, a what? Okay. When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So you have a priest and a Levite, which sounds like a great bar joke, but it's not. So you have a priest <laughs> and a Levite, and they just walk by this half-beaten, or this beaten, naked, half-dead man, which again... I think Jesus, maybe speculation, that's, that's a picture of a Christ, that's a picture of Messiah, and they're missing the Messiah. I don't know, you can speculate. But anyway, there's these two men, a priest and a Levite. 
priest and Levite. What's special about a priest and a Levite? They are religious men. And what do religious men do in Jerusalem? What's in Jerusalem in that time period? What's in Jerusalem? Temple. And what do a priest and Levite do at temple in Jerusalem? They worship. They're offering sacrifices and worship. Now, I imagine they're coming back from Jerusalem. They've offered their sacrifice. They've worshiped. They feel really good about themselves. They walk by this dude who's been beaten, this dude who is like half dead and naked. They walk right by them. I bet they feel a-okay about themselves. Why? Because they're good with God. They were just in temple worshiping. Let me imagine this for ourselves. Imagine, which is not a hard imagination for you. Imagine you're here at Grace Point Church right now. And we're singing to Jesus, and we're going to take communion in just a little bit, and we're hearing this word about Jesus, and we're like, yeah, it's just a wonderful thing. At the end of the gathering, uh, you, you jump in your car, and, and you get a, flu, a few blocks down the road, and you look over on the sidewalk, and there's a man who's been beaten, and is naked, and is bloody, and looks about half dead. And you have this in your mind. You're like, man, should I stop them? But then, it, then you have this thought, well, I just left church. And you know how Pastor Ty is. He preaches a really long time. <laughs> and, 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 and I'm hungry. And I skipped breakfast because uh, I was in a hurry to get to church because I showed up late because that's what we all do here. Bam, gotcha. Um, <laughs> um, and you know, uh, I'm hungry. And so what do you do? You roll on. You head to Chipotle. You're like, deuces. I'm praying for you. And boom, roll on. That, that's that's kind of the equivalent. See, at any moment, they should have stopped there, uh, this priest and Levi should have stopped there and taken care of this human being who was created in the image of God just like them and obeyed the commandments that they knew to love God with all they had and to love their neighbor as themselves. But yet right here, they break the commandments and roll on. See, it's not about who is my neighbor. It's like, whose neighbor am I? And I would argue that these two guys, the, pre- the, the priest and the Levite, were what? They were very bad neighbors, bad neighbors. I would, I would argue sometimes me, I am, and maybe some of you will, that we're not very good neighbors. There's times where we have little to no concern to those people around us. We have little to no space in our schedules for any interruptions for anyone else. That we see people who are wounded physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and never stop to help them out. And yet when we look at the love of Jesus and when we look at our Bibles, it looks like it tells us that love will require of us something. It looks like there must require an action. And so much so that we can walk away from worshiping Jesus here and yet we can commit the sin of omission and not do good to those around us. We just make excuses and we just have full schedules and we're a bit selfish that we are not good neighbors at times. So here's my question. I want us to think about this. Are we good neighbors? I want you to think about it. Are we good neighbors? We can can claim to be a loving person all day long, but by our actions, it will prove out the truth if we are a good neighbor or not. Why? Because love requires something from us. Action. Now, back to the story. Jesus is about to put a twist on it. Uh, he's going to show what love requires of us, okay? So I, I, want, I want us to see, we're going to walk through uh, a few lines of it, and then I want us to see some things that emerge from it that will help us maybe uh, shift on how we see ourselves as neighbor. Look at verse 33. It says, but a Samaritan, <laughs> who is that? 
Samaritan. Okay. As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, the person who was beaten, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring an, on oil and wine. Then he set on him his own animal and brought him to the, an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, we hear that, we're like, oh, it's a great story. When a Jewish person would hear this, uh, it's sounding off alarms. Why? The Samaritan. Like, in Jewish stories, the Jewish person is supposed to be the hero. But the Jewish person is not the hero in Jesus' story right here. The hero of this story in that section right there is, is ooh, the Samaritan. So this is Jesus This is Jesus doing an epic burn to them. Like, he just, he just burned them there. I mean, the last person a Jewish lawyer would think would be the hero would be a Samaritan. He doesn't even want to hear about a Samaritan. Why? Well, if you look centuries ago, uh, Samaritans disobeyed God's law, and they ended up marrying Assyrians. And Assyrians worshipped false gods and all that. And so, like, uh, at that time, Jewish people did not like Samaritans because they disobeyed God's law and married Assyrians. And they, they, they mixed with the people that had false gods. And that was like a big, big no-no uh, in that time period. Big, big, big time no-no. And they ended up taking the first five books of the Bible and they kind of rewrote that for themselves. And so when Jewish people would look at Samaritan people, they would see them as compromisers. They would see them as kind of half-bloods or uh, they would see them as Jew-ish, if you know what I mean. Or for some of my Harry, Pop, uh, Harry Potter people out there, is that a muggle? Am I going to get that wrong? Where's Kendi? Is that a muggle? Is that a muggle, baby? Okay, cool, cool, cool. So a muggle, if you will. Three people got that. But the irony of the story is that we call the story the Good Samaritan. But to, to the Jewish people hearing that, there is no such thing as a Good Samaritan. That would be an oxymoron. That would be like saying Microsoft works or something like that. It's an oxymoron. <laughs> Regardless, Jesus is about to school the lawyer as well as us of something here. Now, I want to show us the what, what the Samaritan did, because I think we can apply some of that to our lives in a good way. Let me show you the what. The what is not the main story. It's not the main point, but I think the what may, may help us. What does require love? Well, the what of how we do that. Look at verse 33 again. It says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and he saw him. He saw. So if we want to pull a little application out of here, how, we, uh, how we're a good neighbor, number one, it would be we need to have open eyes. We have to have open eyes. We, we've got to s- start opening our eyes and looking at the world around us, at the needs around us. We need to be aware so we can care. That rhymes, and whenever a preacher rhymes, you know it's spiritual. We need to be aware so we can care. Because right there it says in the text, it says he saw him, meaning like, like he was looking out. He, he lived in a posture to where like I want to help whoever's in front of me. If you missed our uh, message from last week or if you were here, we, we saw that we are to do good to everyone, meaning whatever opportunities come to us as Christians, we are to do good to people in front of us. We have to see them, though. He saw. He just didn't look. He saw. Hey, you remember the, um, the 1992 classic, uh, White Man Can't Jump? Which I heard they're going to remake it. They shouldn't. But anyway, White Man Can't Jump. And so Woody Harrelson and uh, not Denzel, but the other, uh, Woody, uh, 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 Wesley Snipes, uh, which is uh, just, I don't know why I get them confused all the time. Wesley Snipes. And so uh, they're in a car and uh, Woody Harrelson puts in Jimi Hendrix. My apologies. Uh, puts in a Jimi Hendrix uh, cassette and a, and a tape deck. 
It would take me a while to explain to you what a cassette is and a tape deck. It's a thing that used to play music. Anyway, Purple Haze, I think the song was Purple Haze, came on. And uh, Woody Harrelson's character says, I love, I love to listen to that. And, 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 and you know, uh, Wesley Snipes just kind of loses his mind. He's like, that's the problem with you. He said, you, you, you uh, listen to it, but you just don't hear it. That's the problem with us. We may look at what's wrong with the world around us, but we're not seeing it. And we need to, to see it. But why do we refuse to see the world around us, the hurting world, to where we can help? Well, I'll give you some reasons why we don't, we don't see it. We're too busy. We're too distracted. And we're too focused on ourselves. Why are we too busy? Why are we too distracted? Why are we too focused on ourselves? I don't know. Perhaps that we, we have, um, we, we, we're living the American dream that we can, we can gain the, the world and not forfeit our, forfeit our soul. Perhaps we're more aligned with worldly ways than, than godly ways, or perhaps we just don't know any better. I, I don't know. I don't know. But what if, what if we were to walk around as Christians, and the, the Bible tells us to be in constant prayer. What if we were to, to constantly pray, God, give me eyes to see. What if we were to do that? That's like, it's what we call breath prayer, where you're just kind of just breathing in it, and you're just thinking, God, give me eyes to see. What if you went about your day, your work, your school, whatever it was, like, God, give me eyes to see. I think that might, he might actually answer that prayer, and you're going to see some stuff. You're going to see some stuff. What else? He says in verse 33, but as a, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, it says, he had compassion. So not only do we need uh, open eyes, we need open heart. Open heart. Uh, um, I'm going to be very careful with this because I told myself I wasn't going to do this, but I, darn it, I'm going to do it. Uh, I, this past week, I was in El Salvador with uh, Carlos and Myra and the Give Foundation. You guys know, that's one of our major, we support them. Uh, they came from Grace Point Church. We baptized them here. They're just, uh, and just an amazing work down there. And I told myself, I was not going to talk about it. I'll wait because uh, it's just, um, I'm still trying to figure some things out. But anyway, um, one of the phrases that Carlos and Myra would say over and over while we were down there is that we don't just need to see with our eyes, we need to see with our hearts. But we don't want to see with our hearts sometimes because it's painful. We might not like it. It may, it may cause us to have this thing he says right here called compassion. When you have compassion, you begin to feel what the other person's feeling a little bit. And when you have compassion and you start to feel what other people feel, listen to me, it's going to cause you pain. That's why our Bibles tell us to rejoice with those who rejoice. And we're like, I'm down with that. Let's throw a party. But it also follows up with weep with those who weep. And when we have an open heart to be compassionate to other people, you're going to shed some tears. But, but perhaps that's why we don't want to have an open heart. Perhaps that's why we don't want to be compassionate to other people because if I feel their pain, it's going to make me feel pain. Or if I share in their pain, then I'm going to, it's going to make me have to deal with my own pain that I feel right now. One of the greatest ways, in my opinion, to have an open heart is to stop talking and start listening. Just, just listen to people. I'm not the best listener. I'll be honest, I'm not the best listener. Why is my wife smiling? I'm not the best listener. Why? I've got advice for everything. I'm a preacher, people. I've got advice. Oh, my gosh. I'm the, Lord's, the Lord's, he's helping me. Think about one of the greatest graces that we can give another human being is just to listen to their story and listen to their pain. Isn't that one of the greatest graces we receive from God? 
We have a God who hears us. Who want, like God is listening and he wants to hear us. What, what if we, not only we, we ask God to give us eyes to see, what if we started asking God to give us ears to hear? I guarantee if we start hearing people's stories, it's going to cause in us compassion. It's going to begin to open our hearts. Well, let, me, let me give you another one. Look, look at verse 34. I like this one. Verse 34, the first few words, it says, he went to him, meaning he saw, he could see, his heart was open, and it says he went to him, means he looked for an open opportunity. Like this Samaritan has an open opportunity. Like he sees something he can do right now, and he doesn't let it pass by. He takes the opportunity, he seizes the opportunity. That's what love will require of us, to look for opportunities, to be compassionate towards other people, and to take the opportunities. But here's what happens to us, and I know all of us do this and say this sometimes. We'll see an opportunity and we'll be like, yeah, I'll take care of that later. Oh, I, I don't have time for that right now. I'm too busy for that. I, you know, I got too much going on. But we see right here that the Samaritan, he went to him, he took the opportunity, he had time, he stooped down to help this person. I love that idea, like the visual idea of the Samaritan went to this person and went down to them. Isn't that what God does to us? The psalmist says that God stoops down, he, like he puts himself down in order to, to come to us. He took that opportunity. Some of you say, well, Ty, I see so many opportunities around me, but I don't have anything I can do. There's nothing I can do to help them. I don't have any resources to help them. What did the Samaritan have? It's in the text. He had wine and oil. Wine and oil. I don't know. Was he making a salad? I don't know. The vinaigrette. But he had wine and oil. Perhaps the wine is an antiseptic or to help ease the pain, like, hey, have a drink. I don't know. Or perhaps the oil to soothe. Doesn't say anything about having bandages, but later on it kind of gives the idea that he kind of ra- he bandaged him up. I'm going to only assume, this is an assumption on the text, I'm going to only assume that he took his own clothing and ripped shred- like, uh, strips from it. That way he could bandage this person up. He, whatever he had in the moment, he used And he did it instantly. He didn't wait. That's what it says in Proverbs 3, verse 27 and 28. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. It's like, like, no, like, do it it then. That was the the, the priest and Levite's problem was the sin of omission. That's our problem as well. We just, we let good go undone. There's so much good that we can do right now if we would just see it. If we would just have open hearts, if we were a posture of opportunity, we, we would absolutely do it. What opportunities are God giving you? What, what if we had another prayer? The prayer went like this. Lord, who needs help right now? What if we just go about our day? Lord, like, God, give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. Lord, who needs help right now? I guarantee God will show you. I guarantee it will put your, you in a posture of like... You're looking for opportunities to help people. Let me, let me give you one last one here. Th- verse 34. And he went to him, and I want you to watch these phrases, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal. So like, I guess he has a donkey, a camel, a horse. Put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. The fourth and final way that we can you know, use 
activate our love is this. We need to open resources. We have open eyes, we have open heart, we have open opportunities. And what about some open resources? Let me say it like this. You ready? Loving other people will cost you. It's going to cost you resources. It could cost you money. See it in the story right here. It could cost you time. It could cost you energy. It could cost you something in your schedule that you really, 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 really wanted to do, but you can't do because you're taking care of people. I mean, the money that he used right there, two denarii, they say it's about a month or two's worth of pay. Uh, I don't know about you guys. That's a lot of money. And he gave it. And he even said, this is a stranger, even said, hey, if it costs more, I'll give more. Why would he do something like that? Because love requires action. It requires something of us. If you were to look at the trip between uh, Jerusalem and Jericho, it's about 20 miles. Uh, I'm going to make an assumption that he put the guy on his animal, and that means he walked 20 miles. You ever walk 20 miles? Some of you are like, I run 20 miles. Good for you. <laughs> Good for you. It was fun. I'm like, awesome. Was something chasing you? Why? Like, I don't know. <laughs> That's silly. What, what did the good Samaritan get in return from this? Did you, did you read the text? Let me answer it for you. Nothing. Because that's what love does. It does something without requiring something. So don't be looking like, I'm going to do this, and that way I'll get something back out of it. No. Got nothing whatsoever. What if we constantly prayed like this? Lord, how can I bless others or help others with what I have? God, I've got, you've given me so much. You've been so good to me. Some of you don't believe that. Uh, you, then you need to count your blessings, each and every one of them. Because the Lord's been really good to you. And many of us have extra. And some people don't have enough. And our prayer is, Lord, how can my extra become there enough? God, God's a matchmaker. He'll put you with people where it can, it can happen. See, here's the reality. When we read a text like this, we need to understand, like, yes, as Christians, we have a, we have a professing faith. We, we, we profess our faith. We have a, a faith we talk about and a faith like we believe in doctrines and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. We have a professing faith. But Christian, don't forget, we have a practical, practicing faith. Like, our, our faith is to be walked out. Our faith is to be lived out. Other people should feel our faith in their lives. Now, may I remind you, this is a parable of Jesus. This is not some Aesop's fable. This is not go and be a better human being and then all the good in the world will happen to you. No, no, Jesus is trying to make a point. In verse 36, he gets to that. He looks at the lawyer. He's, tell, he's told the lawyer the story we just read of the Good Samaritan, and then he asked the question to the lawyer, which of these three, remember the priest, the Levi, and the Good Samaritan, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor, to be a neighbor, not who is their neighbor, to be a neighbor, to the man who fell among the robbers. And so the lawyer answered. He says, well, to the, the one who showed him mercy. Who showed mercy in this? Samaritan. What did Jesus say? Oh, I love it. He said, Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. And I think that's what we need to hear. That's what this parable, this, this parable is about. Whose neighbor am I? How can I be a good neighbor to the people around me? I think it's a very simple parable. It's very, very like, it's easy to read right here. And it's not like one of those things like this parable is not saying, hey, go do good things and God will give you good things. It's not that parable. It's not a parable of like, hey, go do good religious things and God will save you. Martin Luther said it like this, and I love what he says. He says, God does not need our good works, but our neighbor does. The point is that everyone 
in, in need is a neighbor. And God is orchestrating your life and my life and placing us in the paths of other people, in the neighborhoods of other people, in the workplaces and in the schools of other people so we can be a good neighbor to them. That's, that's it. If all we ever do is talk about love and talk about the love of God, which are great things to do, and never show the love of God and never care for the world around us, then I think, I think we've missed it. We need to put our love on display by how we care for the people around us. Now, of course, the greatest person to ever love any human being is Jesus. I mean, it's amazing that Jesus, the one who knew so much about being a good neighbor, uh, later becomes the ultimate na- neighbor when he comes and dies on the cross and resurrects from the grave. Think about the points I just laid out. Jesus is the one who had open eyes to see our needs and our inability to save ourselves. Jesus is the one that had open heart and who ha- has compassion on us and can sympathize with us right now. Jesus is the one who took the opportunities, willing to lay his life down for each and every one of us. And he opened up all the resources of heaven and paid for us fully by his blood on the cross. To say in this parable that Jesus was the good Samaritan is not even going enough. In the story, the, 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 the man was half dead. Jesus fully died. The man in the parable was half dead. The Bible tells us that we are fully dead, and Jesus comes and die for, dies for us so we can be brought back to life, the ultimate healing we need. And it's not like Jesus just crossed the road to save us. He went from heaven to earth to save us. Save us. It didn't cost Jesus a month or two of, uh, of his salary. I don't know what Jesus gets paid, his Savior. It cost him everything. He didn't, didn't just tell the guy, like, hey, man, looks, looks tough for you later. He actually did something about it and sees it all the way to the end. Look back at verse 37. He says, the one who showed mercy, and Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So I want to end with a challenge. The question earlier I posed to all of us is what does love require of us? What requires us to be a, a neighbor, a good neighbor? And so the question is, whose neighbor am I? Well, to know whose neighbor am I, I, I think practically speaking, this is like so practical that we need to know our neighbors. Like, and when I say no, I mean like we actually need to, to, to know something about them. If we don't take Jesus' command literally, then we turn the great commandment into nothing more than a metaphor. We, had a, we have a metaphoric love for our metaphoric neighbors and our communities are changed, but only metaphorically, of course. In other words, nothing changes. Everything is metaphorically. <laughs> So what does it require me? It requires us to love our neighbors well. In order to love them, we need to know them. When you came in today, you received a sheet. Would you go ahead and grab this out real quick? I'm, a, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm challenging, like Angie and I, we're going to do this. And, and, and I've not been the best neighbor, so let me be the first to admit, I have not been the best neighbor. And, and from this, I want, look, man, we didn't, live, we didn't live that close to you for that long. Come on, he's my neighbor. He, he just amened, I'm not a good neighbor. Lord, forgive him. He knows not what he does. <laughs> Amber's dying right now. It's like, shut up, Jason. <laughs> anyway, grab this sheet out right here. <laughs> All right, you see the home in the middle? That is your home. What I'm going to challenge us, and this is what I'm going to do. I've been reading this book called The Art of Neighboring. It's a phenomenal book. Uh, what it's going to challenge us to do is to know eight neighbors around us. Now, I know right now you're starting to count like, I got a cul-de-sac behind me. I got... 
uh, I live in a, an apartment. Con- like there's a, there's a nuance there, but as best as you can, who are four, five, six, seven, eight people around you as best you can, let's, let's get to know our neighbors. So on the number one line, not right now, this is something you go home and do. You might not have all eight, but this is, some, this is the challenges for something for you to do at home. On the first line is you're going to put their name. So you can take one of them right now and just write name if you want to. Name. You're going you're gonna to write their name out. Like, what, what are your neighbor's names? Like, get to know their names. Like, hey, hey, I'm Ty. What's your name? And they're like, I'm Clem Cadiddlehopper. This is my wife, Susie Q, whatever. Number two, on the second line here, number two. You're going to write down relevant information about this person or people, this family. Relevant inf- information. Not like, uh, you know, is a Raiders fan, I saw the flag, or, you know, drives a uh, you know, crummy car. No, 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 no. What's relevant information? Like, they are from Texas. They are in the military. They are a teacher. They have three children. Just relevant information. Okay? Simple, right? This is easy. Anybody can do it. The third one. The third one is going to be in-depth information in-depth information. This is one where you're going to have to invite them over. Stand outside and not just close your garage door and actually have a conversation with them. See them at the mailbox, strike up a conversation. This is one where you're going to get to know your neighbors. And, and uh, some of that information, will be like, what are their dreams? What are their hopes? What are their fears? What are their issues? How, how do they, have they ever said anything about God? How do they feel about God? What do they think about church? In reading this book, The Art of Neighboring, it said only about 10% can fill out names for eight neighbors. 10%. About 3% can fill out uh, the line one and two for each home, and less than 1% can fill out line C for every home. Okay. Let's, let's, let's have some vision. Imagine what it would look like if we took serious just to get to know our neighbors. Imagine what it would look like if we were in their lives, and they're in our lives, and we were good neighbors to them, and we cared for them, and we knew their names, and we knew some relevant information, we knew some in-depth information to where we could care for them well. We can demonstrate the gospel. Uh, we could love them with some action, and then we could also potentially share good news with them. Imagine what it looked like if we were doing that throughout our communities. Imagine what God would do. A group of about 20 pastors in Denver, Colorado, met together. It's been a while back. And the purpose of their meeting was to dream pray, and think through how their churches could unite together to bless the city in which they live. And so what they did was they, they invited their, their, their mayor of Denver in uh, to sit in on this meeting. Uh, and they asked him a simple question. How can we as a church, or we as churches, best work together to serve our city? Uh, in this book, it said the discussion was lively, and immediately they began to focus on fixing many of the problems the city faced, child hunger, drug and alcohol abuse, loneliness, elderly shut-in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then the mayor just piped up and said, said this statement. This is from the actual mayor in Denver. said this. The majority of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. Man, that stuck with me. What if, just right here at Grace Point Church, what if we were a community of great neighbors. And I know you can tell your horror story about your neighbor and that barking dog at 2 o'clock in the morning. I've got three of them. The, that, that neighbor that would make Snoop Dogs blush with all the weed they're smoking and just like invading your nose space. I get it. I get it. 
But Jesus said, the one who showed mercy, you go and do likewise. Let's do this. This may, this may be a project that takes you a year. Some of you would say, well, I'm only going to be here for six months. I'm like, so what? Use your time wisely. You have no idea how long you're actually going to be here. Let's go do likewise and be that church that loves our neighbors well. We pray for us. Let's go to the Lord's uh, table together. Lord, your word is good. And Jesus, you, you, you're intentional. You just don't say things for us just to hear and like, oh, that's great. You, you say things to transform us and to change us. And you've told us time and time through your word that we're to love you with everything we have. Help us. And that we're to love our neighbors. Jesus, you even said love our neighbors as ourselves. And I can only imagine we love ourselves a lot. And so, God, would you challenge each of us to love our neighbors well? Would it stick with us asking the question, whose neighbor am I? Am I, am I caring for the community in which you sovereignly placed me in well? God, would you remove the obstacles that keep us from neighboring well, whether it be just outright selfishness, I know my own heart, distraction, hurriedness, busyness, apathy, God, would, would you, Holy Spirit, would you point that out in our lives right now? All we can say is, Lord, be merciful to us. We are nothing but sinners. But Lord, remind us, you've called us to be saints. Empower us to live by into that. Would you give us eyes to see, ears, ears to hear, heart to understand and build compassion. Give us opportunities and by how you've blessed us, let us bless our neighbors. Would that be for our good, for our joy, for kingdom advancement? And Jesus, would all this be for your glory alone? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.